Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to a bonus episode of New Scientist Weekly. I'm your host, Rowan Hooper. On the show last week, I spoke with a couple of Arctic scientists about an idea to use a local form of geoengineering to slow the rate of ice melt in Greenland. And if it works, then in Antarctica too. Now, we've talked a lot on the podcast about Arctic warming and ice melt and the looming danger of sea level rise. Greenland alone contains so much ice that if it all melted, it would raise global sea levels by 7.2 metres. Now, that would take a long time for it all to melt, but some sea level rise is locked in. The latest estimate is that a minimum of 27 centimetres is guaranteed. We clearly need to cut emissions of carbon dioxide, but the Arctic is warming three times faster than the rest of the planet. We might not have time to prevent catastrophic melting of the ice caps. So that's the background. Now, last week in Iceland, there was a meeting of the Arctic Circle Assembly and scientists and engineers met there to discuss ways to preserve the ice. So they were addressing the impacts of climate change here rather than the causes. And one idea is to slow the ice melt by stopping warm seawater getting underneath the ice sheet and warming it up that way. So to talk about that today, I'm delighted to welcome to the pod John Moore of the Arctic Centre at the University of Lapland and also of the College of Global Change and Earth System Science, Beijing Normal University in China, and Ilona Metiainen, also of the University of Lapland in Finland. Welcome to you both. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. Great. Thank you so much. John, do you want to set the scene for us about the importance of the Arctic and the sort of interventions we're thinking of? Well, I think there are several key factors in the cryosphere, the frozen world of the Arctic. The most obvious is the ice sheets because, of course, they are raising sea levels globally. And uh, the other key thing probably is the permafrost, which is um, thawing and going to release large amounts of carbon as carbon dioxide, but also as methane into the atmosphere. So it is this globally important resource. And as I said in the introduction, we need to stop warming the planet. We need to try to cool down the Arctic uh, or stop it warming as fast. But failing that, what other sorts of interventions could there be to save the ice? Yes, well, of course, the the ice sheet is something that's globally significant, even though it's entirely the responsibility of Greenlanders. So we have a very small community, 56,000 people, that are responsible for something that will affect actually everybody on the planet, either directly or indirectly, because people are going to move closer together to avoid the rising seas. Now, there's not very much that we can do about how the temperatures are rising, unless we do some kind of what we could call traditional global scale geoengineering to cool the whole planet. 
But we've been trying to find alternatives to that very tricky to manage kinds of scenario, this global geoengineering, something that attacks the impacts of climate warming rather than the causes. And to do this, one method might be to seek to stabilize the ice sheets by trying to slow down their melting from the oceans. Yeah, because um, I think a recent paper showed that the melting from un- underneath the glaciers and the ice sheets is is happening faster than was expected, uh, I think up to 100 times faster. So anything we can do to slow this meltdown is going to buy us some more time, isn't it? But what what are we talking about? How How can we do that physically? Yeah, that's a, a good question. And uh, it's not an immediately obvious answer until you see the geometry of some of these very deep fjords that are mm. um, draining the plug holes, if you like, of where the ice is going out of the, the bathtub of Greenland. Now, these fjords are connected to the Atlantic Ocean and to the warming waters globally, usually by a fairly restricted entrance area, whereby the fjord inside close to the ice might be close to a kilometre deep. There's a step at the entrance to the fjord that might only have 250, 300 metres of water above it. And uh, the ocean in the Atlantic, the warmer waters, they tend to be deep because they're very salty. They've come from the tropical areas. They've suffered a lot of evaporation so they're warm but salty. These waters are prevented from that step from filling the fjord and melting the ice very quickly. But as that Atlantic has warmed, more and more water has spilled over into the fjord and accelerating melting. So our idea is to try to limit that water coming in by effectively just raising the height of that step, perhaps by 100 metres, at least buying some time in terms of how much warm water gets close to the ice sheet. We'll talk a bit more about that in a minute. But Ilona, I wondered, you've been talking to local people about their feelings about preserving the ice. Well, what are their feelings about that? Uh, Of course, this is a, a new scientific idea. So our project has been the first time that people hear about this method to start with. So the, the views on, on this have been um, both positive and slightly concerned about some some possible important impacts uh, for local livelihoods, for instance. Basically, for instance, uh, within tourism, the views have, have been more um, like optimistic or positive, while people engaged in fisheries activities have been both um, interested and also concerned because the ice fjord in Ilulissat is is so important for the for fisheries both in the fjord itself but also in the wider Disco Bay area. But generally, people want to preserve their way of life and the environment that they they're used to. They don't. Do we ever hear about people who who think about uh, you know an ice free part of Greenland that they could you know perhaps do some farming on or develop? Is there any sort of voices saying? you know, this could be good for us? Well, uh, Greenland sees also a positive size to climate change. For instance, new fish species have arrived. On the other hand, they will not be suffering from sea level rise themselves, but there there will be sea level decline instead. So because of the self-gravitation and, and also 
for the post-glacial rebound. But that's, right. that's of course, like on the longer term. People have been expressing their uh, interest towards uh, doing climate action in Greenland. That's uh, that's a good starting point. However, the final decisions or um, forming of opinions on whether they would like to have ice sheet conservation in illicit ice fjord, of course, the opinion can be formulated until until they have further information and our study is still ongoing regarding especially some of the impacts. So they they can't say that they would want it or they would not want it at, at this point, but um, there's been um, also some, some uh, interest and support for this idea expressed in, in the meetings. And John, let's talk about a bit more about the the idea to to increase the lip. I mean, has there been any prototype made or any testing or uh, done of this yet? What what sort of materials are we going to have been proposed to use to do this? Well, we haven't gone beyond the computer simulations as yet, except that we are working now with professional engineering companies, both UK-based and in Norway. And uh, the idea of this meeting was to bring together a range of expertise, both in the practical side of things, the uh, local communities and economics and the, the research side of stuff. So we had a lot of different perspectives on what might be a potential outcome. We are not engineers, we are scientists. And uh, to actually address those things like making prototypes and materials, it's much better to rely on these professional engineers. But we do know what we expect are the the design concepts. So essentially what we have is a heavy pre-made uh, set of concrete foundations that would be gently lowered onto the sea floor. And they provide the anchor for a, a buoyant curtain, like you may have seen um, in separating cold rooms from the warmer outside parts, but still allow you to drive through with a forklift truck or something like this. <laughs> right, yeah. So the forklift truck represents, uh, in this analogy, a large iceberg that might come along and push the curtain panels to one side, pass through, hopefully without damaging, and the curtain panels would spring back into their ideal shape. Hmm. In, in reality, there would probably be a lot of active control because we would want to give a lot of a lot of scope for the local community to both manage how they would like to see the ice and the fjord, allow the plume of water that provides nutrients for fishing, which can change in its height at different seasons. So allow a lot of flexibility for sort of tuning the response of a curtain. So the curtain reduces the flow of warm water to the base of the ice sheet, is that right? Yes, that's right. This is not anything to do with the, the surface warming. So the melting that's occurring because of the atmosphere heating up, that's going to proceed and it's going to accelerate. And in Greenland, that's a big, big issue. It, in a sense, the reason why we want to go to Greenland is both for the local benefits, but also because we need to learn things about Greenland before we try anything in Antarctica. You can't go straight to Antarctica. It's so much more logistically challenging. But on the other hand, Greenland in many ways is more difficult to make an intervention work because of there is local people and there are the different forcings from the ocean and the atmosphere. 
Can you tell us about the the particular part of Greenland and the glacier that you're thinking of? Uh, yeah, so we want to go to Ilulissat Fjord, which is I can never remember the the correct term. Sørkjælik. Yes, is is the the Inuit name for the glacier, but um, in the the old school glaciologists know it as Jakobshavn Glacier. Right. So this is the most iconic glacier in Greenland. It's very fast um, flowing, about thirty-five meters a day. It's carving ice into the into the fjord, and it it was the largest single contributor in the northern hemisphere to the sea level rise during the twentieth century. So wow. it's going to be a major component of sea level rise in future, but it's also very very significant and iconic both for fishing and for tourism lots and lots of tourists go there but Ilona do you want to give your take on the location yeah so Ilulissat ice fjord is located to the town of Ilulissat which is uh, the third largest town in in Greenland with 4600 inhabitants uh, the fjord is uh, world famous for the beautiful icebergs and the fjord is a UNESCO world heritage site as as well so the big icebergs in there are the tourist magnet for Ilulistat itself, but also for the whole Greenland. Moreover, the, the fjord is, is very important for the for the locals in terms of uh, fishing. I already mentioned about this nutrition nutrition issue. So there's been fishing both using boats and, and also on dog sleds. But because of the one of the negative impacts of climate change, namely weaker sea ice and reduced sea ice, this has not been possible to the same extent as, as before. Okay. But, you know, with all the benefits you've said about the the current state of the ice, it, you know, what the locals, how they live, is there overwhelmingly, is there the feeling that they would rather keep this way of life with all its benefits and it's known what they know about it? So basically, Greenlanders are concerned about climate change, despite the also, also positive things that I mentioned. So Greenlanders also do suffer from climate change. For instance, the, the uh, sea ice that has become uh, less reliable in the past times. Uh, so we have a, have had a lot of discussions with people in, in Greenland, both local in Irulistat and, and key organizations in Greenland, and also at this meeting last week. So there's been a positive, lots of positive response to this idea. However, I want to emphasize that any decision on on this ice sheet conservation in Greenland would take place much later, and by Greenlanders them, themselves. But it's mm. it's not within the <laughs> next few months or, or years. It, it will be much much later. The thing is as well that when you say, do they like it as it is? Mm. So yes, they do. But as is, it's not an option. If we do nothing, the glacier will retreat much further than it is inland at the present time. Fishing will change. Fishing types have changed three times over the last 30 years. Greenlanders are tremendously adaptive, but of course they prefer something more stable, something that gives them some agency, some choice over how they would see their ice sheet and their fjord, rather than simply being the passive victims of changes inflicted by everybody else. And there is, furthermore, a very strong desire amongst Greenlanders to be doing the morally right thing and to take a kind of leadership position on climate change and sea level rise. They are very willing to make difficult choices. And that's something that came very clearly in public pronouncements last week in Iceland, as well as in our private meetings. 
details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I mean, no one, no one would expect a, a small town of a few thousand people to pay for this kind of uh, intervention. So, you know, let's assume that everyone does get on board with it. Where's the money going to come from? Well, clearly, the money will not come from the poor former farmer in Bangladesh or the, the fisherman in Greenland. It has to come from the rich countries that can afford it, have the technological expertise, and, of course, have the moral responsibility for it as well. There are some existing mechanisms uh, from the United Nations that um, we examined in the meeting a little bit, for example, that are used to fund uh, or try to avoid excessive deforestation of the Amazon, basically to pay people not to cut down globally important resources but mm. uh, as we know from the amazon that's that's not working out exactly as hoped there would have to be specific new mechanisms designed to conserve cryosferic global goods like the the greenland ice sheet unfortunately the time scale to make them is pretty long getting the agreement for so many countries there are other mechanisms though that might be faster, such as global insurance levies, or or quite frankly, just flat out, this is an important problem, we need to solve it. So the richer countries should basically dive in and and, and start doing this stuff. And And like I said, the Greenlanders are very much consistent with this idea that they want to be responsible stewards for the ice sheet. When I talk to some people who are thinking about another method of intervention, proposed method of marine cloud brightening, the prices that get touted around there for trials are are quite manageable in the scale of a few hundred million dollars or pounds, which is something a, a private individual could fund. Are we talking about the same level of of funding here, or has anyone put a, even a rough price tag on it yet? Yes, um, we expect that the cost per kilometer of a curtain would be probably significantly less than half a billion dollars. So yeah, to go across um, the fjord in front of Ilulisat, we would think wouldn't be more than two billion. This is significant funding. Uh, But if you 
compare that with the costs of Greenland's contribution to sea level rise and the expected damages, it's far, far smaller. It's uh, of the order of 1%. You sort of mentioned it as a, a test run for something on a bigger scale in Antarctica. Is that a fair way of putting it? We I mean, like it's important to... in its own right, of course, yes. to try to save the ice in Greenland. It's vital. It's not a small small amount of ice, as we said at the beginning. No, but the, the problem in Greenland is that this surface melting will continue, and, and as the ice retreats from the oceans, the parts that we can do something about become less important over time than they were, you know, 50 years ago. But Antarctica is the real killer when it comes to raising global sea levels, especially if something unknown happens. And there's plenty of scope for unknown things happening down in Antarctica. So, yeah, we could learn an an awful lot in an easy to monitor situation like Greenland. It's a very important scaling up from things that we could learn in, in, say, a fjord in Norway, which doesn't have a, an ice sheet terminating into it. So the circulation is very different uh, of the water in the fjords. So you would, basically, you would not want to go straight to Antarctica. And the situation in Antarctica, having much more difficult access and no local population, means the kind of design goals from the engineering perspective are quite a bit different from the situation in Greenland as well. Ilona, you mentioned that any decision is going to be not made soon, right? This is going to be, even you said, it, in a number of years. But, you know, we're hearing more and more about how little time we've got, especially if we've crossed any Arctic tipping points when it comes to ice sheets. So where are we at with this? You know, how, how can we speed it along? Well, the, the research has to, has to be done first. And then when this information is provided for Greenlanders, so then, then if, if they want, they can utilize it in decision making. But science first, and only then the decisions. And how much more do we need to do? I mean, what sort of timescale are we looking at? Say, optimally, if we could really get on with it. The amazing thing for us, I would say, is that the engineers were all essentially 100% confident that if we told them what we wanted to do, they could do it. So that was not any kind of a deal breaker or a red flag. No, the, the issue is actually understanding things like how the nutrients are mixing in different circumstances with the fish. And this kind of knowledge is something that Greenlanders will find tremendously useful anyway, even if we don't do this kind of intervention. There's an awful lot of unknowns surrounding this huge island of Greenland. In terms of how we can speed it up, of course, we need to have some long-term committed funding for the basic research, bringing in fishing experts and uh, aquatic biologists. And we know people that are interested. It's a question of not everybody can do things for free in their spare time, which more or less we have been doing. Mm -hmm. The engineering companies are talking about 30-year commitments to doing the research, but really getting something going in Greenland, people are talking more like seven-year timescales to get that sorted out. So it's not there. There are unknowns, but there is a reasonable amount of time to do something and to make an impact. I think. I wondered if you'd had any pushback from other climate scientists because sometimes you hear a lot of well, there is some antagonism between traditional geoengineering, certainly, well, proponents of that and other climate scientists who would rather push on 
emissions cuts. You know, people say that if we start to open the door to geoengineering, we're not going to get anywhere with emissions cuts. I mean, I wondered if you've had any anything to say on that. I mean, I, I do also this traditional type of geoengineering research. In my experience, there are no proponents of doing <laughs> geoengineering. There are proponents of doing geoengineering research. And right. I, of course, that's a key step if at some point in the future we would want to, to do geoengineering. I think that one of the attractive things that uh, brought me into looking at these targeted approaches trying to deal with the impacts is that there is a much clearer kind of morality involved in this. You aren't trying to introduce some foreign mechanism into the process, but you are trying to maintain the status quo. There are still people who probably don't have very many uh, information on what we're trying to do and immediately want to be horrified by the by the thought of interfering in such complex systems that's entirely reasonable and uh, something that we are fully cognizant of and want to take into account in any action this is why we are and always have involved the greenlanders in this uh, as a fun every fundamental step they are the best um, people to ask about the present system and what are the important features of it and what should be best preserved in future. Yeah, I mean, it's totally essential that besides the, the scientific technological feasibility, we also look into the into the social sustainability viewpoints. So social, cultural, ecological, economical sustainability. So are they, the ne- I was going to ask, what are the next steps? You've had a, a promising, a productive meeting. Where do you go next? So I think it's about trying to raise in awareness. And thanks very much for the opportunity of talking to you here for that. I think that we have now essentially received an okay from the local communities that this kind of research is welcome. They want to see what may come of it. Then we need to extract funding from very likely rich billionaire type guys you know that want to make a difference they want to try to help the planet and um, try to grow this community as as quickly as possible and Ilona what's next for you well I will contribute of course to this this uh, research process and I look forward to to further continuing and extending the dialogue with the locals it's I see that that's essential for reaching any any social acceptability for this method in Greenland. So we are dealing with a place that is is inhabited by by people. It's home for people, so they are very important in, in this regard. That was John Moore and Ilona Metiainen of the University of Lapland in Finland. And John wanted to acknowledge the funding from Swedish billionaire Fredrik Paulsen for the Iceland event. And it would be nice to get some more money from billionaires, wouldn't it, to test some of these ideas. That was me. That was my suggestion, not John's. But thanks for listening. Do subscribe to our show and we'll be back in a few days with another one. This podcast is produced by OG Podcasts. Find out more at ogpodcasts.co.uk. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. 
Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.